Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is March the 1st, 2017. This is episode 1960. March 1st, you know what that means. Two months of the year, gone, gone. I know February is a short month, but seriously, two months of 2017 are gone. There's only 10 months left of this year. And it's going to be 20 freaking 18. Tick-tock, tick-tock. The clock ticks for us all. Are you working on your liberty, self-sufficiency, and independence? You either are, and you're moving up the scale toward greater independence and liberty and self-sufficiency, or the clock is working against you, and you're moving toward less. Because there's no static in life. It's a sliding scale. And if you don't move in one direction, life moves you in the other all by itself. Just a friendly reminder to make your dash matter at the intro to today's show, 1960. Anyway, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I have a great subject for you because you guys know I am passionate about many things. But one thing I'm passionate about is cooking, especially of the meat variety. And we're going to talk about, well, you don't have to only cook meat with it, but it's probably most famous for cooking meat. Cooking with Dutch ovens today with Mathi- uh, a guest named Matthias Resnick. Uh, which I hope I got right. If I didn't get it right, I'll get the right pronunciation from him when I bring him on the air. Uh, but Matthias is going to talk to us all about Dutch oven cooking. We're going to talk about how he got into Dutch oven cooking. He's going to talk about what a Dutch oven actually is, what makes it a Dutch oven, the tools you need, the benefits of using a Dutch oven, how to care for your cast iron cookware, the kind of cost there is to get started, uh, all the stuff you can cook in a Dutch oven, and some of his favorite recipes. We'll have all that more in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. You know, guys, I've been telling you about how Safe Castle Royal has everything for your prepping needs for over seven years now. Everything's a big word, but in this case, it's true. Of course, they have long-term storage food, water purification equipment, shelters, solar and wind components, and more. But hey, did you know they even have an amazing fold-down, bug-out bicycle? Yeah, they actually have two of those. For everything you could ever need as a prepper, and I do mean everything, check out safecastle.com today. Bob Wells Nursery has become my go-to for fruit trees, nut trees, and hard-to-find edibles. Their customer service is second to none, and they even provide a 10% discount for all MSB members. Check them out at bobwellsnursery.com today. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. I have uh, four segments for you. I'm going to read the first one called The Angel of Death is Born, primarily because it's the shortest one, and I'm still dealing with uh, fighting the laryngitis and trying not to overdo it with my voice and make it worse. So I have The Angel of Death. I have Coming to America, Broke but Not Broken. I have The Second Civil Rights Act and The Trap for Minorities. And we have The President is a Catholic. Notable births, Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, Aaron Brockovich, a famous name, right? Jeffrey Dahmer died at ni- in 1994, age 34, raped, murdered, and dismembered in eight 17 men and boys. I believe he was beaten to death with a mop handle. I'm not sure, and if there's any justice in the world, that mop handle went elsewhere before he was beaten to death with it. Uh, Dan F., father of South Paul Ben, born in Delaware and currently works for DuPont. That is uh, South Paul Ben, a contributor to the wiki and the history segment. And entertainment. Amy Grant was born, Christian pop singer. Bono, lead singer of U2, lends his voice to various causes. I'm not sure how effective he is. Um, 
There's a South Park episode that's kind of disturbing when you see it, but it's Bono is crap. And if you want to uh, see a segment of it, you can click a link in today's show notes, but be prepared for disturbing images. Uh, Sean Penn was born from Fast Times at Ridgemont High Mystic River. He's also a political activist. And Jean-Claude Van Damme, Universal Soldier, Time Cop, Kickboxer, Bloodsport, etc., I think a lot of people don't know this about Jean-Claude. Uh, Jean-Claude really wasn't a martial artist to begin with. He was a gymnast who was able to uh, act, sort of. Anyway, um, this year in film, Spartacus, Psycho, and the Time Machine. This year in music, Elvis is back from the Army with It's Now or Never and Are You Lonesome Tonight. The Twist from Chubby Checker. And Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini by An Highland. Here comes the Beach Movies. In other news, the first laser is built. The UK book ban of Lady Chatterley's Lover is lifted. And the first weather satellite and NAVSAT system are launched into orbit. NAVSAT is the early version of GPS. So let's take a look at the angel of death is born. Charles Cullen is born this year. He will become the most prolific serial killer in history, topping out at an estimated 400 dead. The Navy will discharge him in 84 after several suicide attempts. His first remembered murder will be committed in June 11, 1988. The St. Barnabas Medical Center, where when he administers an overdose to Judge John W. Yengo, who had an allergic reaction to medication. He will continue murdering patients at the hospital for another four years, some directly and some by contaminating intravenous bags with insulin. When the hospital starts an investigation, he leaves and continues his killing spree at other hospitals. After 20 years, he will be discovered, arrested, and plead guilty. But for now, he's just a baby, the youngest of eight children and the son of a bus driver living in New Jersey. My take by Alex Shrug. In the news coverage, Colin was portrayed as the angel of death, as if he was God's agent entering the suffering of the terminally ill. But most of his victims were not terminally ill. Many of his murders seemed purely random. Colin was mentally ill, but that does not mean he was mentally incompetent. He appeared reasonably normal. What is astonishing is the lack of monitoring by the medical staff. This case led to tidying up of the monitoring of day-to-day work at the hospital. More than simply checking for narcotics and abuse and theft, the horses may have left the barn, but there will be other horses. Colin was sentenced to over 100 years in prison, and as of this writing, he is still there. So, not so much historical significance, but my question for you today, and I'd like you to really think about this rather than having a knee-jerk reaction to it, a guy like that murdered 400 people. Is it better that he spend the rest of his life incarcerated, or is it better that we execute him? At one time, I was a huge fan of the death penalty. I, I really was. Um, I, I thought it was uh, a, a logical thing to do, that if somebody murdered somebody, well, you killed them and you didn't have to deal with them anymore, and they didn't cause any more problems, because dead people don't cause problems. Uh, then a rash of uh, people were cleared uh, of any wrongdoing, Uh, and it was shown that prosecutors uh, often hid and misconstrued evidence, etc. Uh, DNA cleared people that simply could not have been the person that committed the crime. And as I took my journey from uh, very young Republican to uh, to Libertarian, before I even got to the world of volunteerism, uh, I decided the state could not be trusted with this. However, in this case, the guy confessed, you know, he did it. So does that absolve, you know, does that take away that whole concern? Well, let's say it does. Then I still ask you, is it better punishment that this man sit in a cage for the rest of his life or that we give him a lethal injection, hang him, shoot him, whatever? And my, my real belief is in some ways it's a greater punishment to live and have to at some point come to terms with what you've done. 
Maybe a guy like this doesn't, but I think most people do. Uh, most people at some point want to go back and tell that younger person that they used to be not to do those things. I, I don't have a definitive answer. And I will say I have no problem with the use of lethal force if that lethal force is being used immediately upon you know the position where the person could be doing greater harm, etc. But once we have them locked in a cage, I'm not sure where I stand on this anymore. Part of me still feels like if we know, not just beyond a reasonable doubt, but beyond any doubt, this person's a murderer, why should we pay for his incarceration? The other part of me realizes that in many instances there will always be some doubt, and at least you can go... Oh, sorry, man. You're, you're free. And I kind of think we should be giving those people like their estimated earnings of the time that they were in prison because their life is ruined. Um, but at least we can have that kind of do-over button, and you don't get that if you actually put somebody to death. It's my thoughts of the day by Jack Spear to go along with our history segment. All right, folks, let me remind you that the main way that you can support the work that we do here at the Survival Podcast is by joining the Member Support Brigade, or MSB for short, And you hear me talk all the time about the over 60 discounts that you get, but let me tell you some of the other things you get. How about nine free ebooks, including Planting Trees the Low Cost Easy Way, How to Build Top Bar Beehives, Basics of Sprouting, Building an EPAC Kit, Getting Your Household in Order, Building a Traditional Clay Oven, Building Aquaponic Systems, Secrets of Ballistic Strikings, and Squanto's Garden. All of those are free ebooks that you get only as an MSB member. You can also download MP4 versions of many of our YouTube videos. You get zip files of every episode of TSP ever produced. And how about videos of the workshops here at Nine Mile Farm that we do in the spring and the fall? All of that and more available as an MSB member. You can sign up for as little as five bucks a month to give it a shot or $50 a year. That comes out to 18.3 cents an episode. Uh, with that, I want to introduce our special guest today. Again, his name is Matthias. He's here to talk to us today about Dutch oven cooking. And with that, hey, Matthias, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Jack. So, hey, we're going to talk about Dutch oven cooking today, which is, like, great for me because I love to cook and I like to use my Dutch oven. Um, but before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about your background, like, you know, what you do professionally and all? Like, start, like, you know, 11th grade, you know, sit in study hall, spacing out, trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life. And, you know, how do you end up where you are now? Wow, I, I spent a lot of time in study hall, actually, uh, back then. Um, I, As a kid, I wanted to join the, the Air Force, and that didn't work out for me. And I became a police officer for a short while. Currently, I actually am a uh, custodian for a school district. Um, and I, you know, I just keep working at uh, everything I can to get better and improve myself. Well, cool. So how did, how did you get into Dutch oven cooking? Um, growing up, my family did a lot of Dutch oven cooking. Like I'd watch my dad, I'd watch my uncle, uh, you know, just do what seemingly was magic out of this black iron cauldron. And I always thought it was so cool because, you know, as a kid, you know, a little boy, it involved fire. So that, that was a bonus, right? Um, But I started just general cooking when I was about seven or eight, uh, not in the Dutch oven, but just learning the basics of cooking and uh, for my mom, for my grandma. And but that wasn't, you know, manly uh, to to admit that you did as an eight year old. So I kind of always paid more attention to the cooking with fire, grilling, Dutch oven cooking, stuff like that, because, ooh, that's that's manly and rugged and tough. And uh, but it was also delicious anyway. So nobody complained. Right. 
Yeah. Um, when I, and actually about that same time, uh, my family, we were campground hosts for a summer. You know, the, the folks that you pay to get into a campground and, you know, take care of everything, clean the bathrooms, whatnot. And that's when my dad really tried to, to start some Dutch oven cooking. Um, and we'd invite, uh, you know, friends up or family and have little shindigs, picnics, whatever. And, you know, the highlight would always be like a Dutch oven cobbler. Um, and I really first tried my hand at cooking. I think I was in middle school. It was kind of like the end of the year before we moved up to high school. And one of my classes had a cookout. And most people brought, you know, hot dogs or burgers or whatever. And I thought, hey, I'm going to impress these cute girls in my class by cooking some chicken teriyaki because I'd see my uh, dad do it. He always did it on family campouts like that. And it was a complete fail. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I didn't understand, you know, the basics. Uh, I just thought you threw everything in the pot, threw charcoal on it, and watch it cook. And that is the basics, but, you know, there's just a little formula. There's a little ratio, but once you get that, it's super easy. Um, in high school, I worked for scout camps, and, you know, I picked up things from other staff, from the campers that I got to work with. I, you know, I learned several tricks, but, um, you know, I just kind of, you know, I never had one of my own. I just kind of was watching and learning back then. And shortly after I got married, I was gifted uh, for Christmas my 12-inch Dutch oven that I use in most of my uh, most of my projects. And I've uh, I tried cooking a few things, but you know, you kind of burn some things. You're still trying to figure things out. And I found a Dutch oven cookbook in a, a bookstore on the discount table. Uh, because my wife and I, we were newlyweds and still in college. We were poor. So a lot of times we would just wander the bookstore, uh, kind of like you mentioned you did when you got out of the Army. Yeah. You know, we just kind of wander the bookstore, look at stuff. But it was on the discount table. It was like three bucks. I'm like, sweet, let's get it. Maybe it'll help me out. And uh, it had one of the most important things I was missing. It was a, uh, a Dutch oven coal chart that told you like how many pieces of charcoal you needed on top and on bottom to cook at a certain temperature. And from there I was able to really get rolling on, on Dutch oven cooking myself. Well, very cool, man. So as you've, if you've been doing this over, you know, the years now, um, what, what have you found to be some of the biggest benefits to using a Dutch oven? Um, one is kind of flavor, right? Like it just has a unique flavor. It gives your food in that. Well, in a good way, if you haven't washed it in a while, it can give you a unique flavor in a bad way, but we (laughs) don't want to talk about that. Um, but it's also very versatile. You can simmer, you can pan fry, uh, you can bake in it. You can even, you know, do some saute if you got enough heat under it. Um, you can put it over the fire. You can use charcoal. If you got a gas stove that has enough of a lift on it, you know, the, the metal grates that go over your, your gas stove, you can even, uh, position your Dutch oven just right, put it right over the top and, you know, cook inside in your oven or a stovetop. 
I even use mine uh, like around Thanksgiving or Christmas when I when it's my turn to host. I will bake a couple casseroles or side dishes in my Dutch ovens outside while the turkey is you know in the oven inside. Thanksgiving is on Thursday, November twenty. <laughs> you just triggered you triggered Siri. I'm not sure how. I triggered Siri. I don't get that. Uh, now she's all going ape on me. Anyway, go ahead. But uh, that was great. Also, we got to leave that in. <laughs> uh, it's also just a fun hobby um, that is useful in preparedness situations. Just kind of like you know the the tagline to the show. You know, um, if you know, live the life you want to live. If times get tough, or if they don't, I I enjoy it. It's fun. But at the same time, it, I've had um, I live in the country. I'm on propane. I've forgotten to check the propane a couple times, run out, uh, like right in the middle of dinner. And I'm like, well, let's put the lid on my Dutch oven. I'll go fire up some coals and I'll finish dinner on the coals while, you know, on the phone trying to get the propane refilled or whatever. That's just really cool, man. Um, and I, I don't know what it is with the flavor, but you're right. It's it's difficult to explain. Like, I mean, because like you cook something on charcoal, like a charcoal or a bed of uh, hot wood coals in a Dutch oven, and, and you'd think there wouldn't be this like smoky kind of thing going on because it's it's sealed inside the cast iron, but it's there. You know, you know yeah. what I mean. And it has a like if you make stew and you you cook it in, uh, even you cook it inside. And you uh, have an oven-safe uh, pot, and you you know finish in the oven slow so it's like tender. When you do it with a heavy Dutch oven, it, it has a different character to it. Yeah, and I, I know even some people that are on the holistic end that you know say that you get actual uh, micro amounts of iron that come out of the pot into your food that have a, a side health benefit. Um, how true that is or not, I don't know. I haven't done the research. But it sounds good, and you know, it, it sounds kind of cool that way. It either does or it doesn't, but at least it doesn't do what Teflon does to you, right? So exactly, yeah. you know. Uh, so let's talk a little bit. You, you know, cast iron, and I have several different Dutch ovens. I only have one piece of cast iron uh, in all of my collection. It's a, a enameled one, and it's actually my wife's. Um, but we got to take care of that cast iron, so we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, I know. You know, like. There's there's the traditionalist, right? They'll say, like, never let soap touch your Dutch oven. But sometimes you have to do that, right? Like, I, I just cooked uh, a recipe of uh, garlic chicken that is actually going to be my next video on my YouTube page. But uh, I had done a test of it to see how it would work in a Dutch oven. It was just a regular oven recipe. Uh, the next day, we made cake. And it's like, well, I definitely don't want my vanilla cake to taste like garlic chicken. So I washed it out. So I had a little soap. You know, you wash it just hot water, a little soap, uh, like you would any other thing if you need to. Um, but after that, to keep it from rusting and to give it a kind of a nonstick finish, you give it a thin coat of oil. And I've heard – I haven't tried it out every way, but um, – you, you want to what's called season it. And I've known people, they'll just throw it right in the fire, bury it in coals, and let it go until the coals cool down. And that's probably the easiest way. Another easy way is after you've been grilling uh, on your grill, you throw that 
Dutch oven that's you know covered in that thin layer of oil. Just throw that in your grill, cover it up, and let it just cook in there till your coals die down. Uh, or you, if you don't mind your house getting smoky, fire up your oven to like 400 plus degrees, like 500 degrees. Throw it in there for 20 minutes, and it'll basically what you're doing is you're taking your heat to turn that thin layer of oil into a carbon, which will give you a nice nonstick rust protection finish. Um, but at the same time, um, if you're going to be not using your Dutch oven very often, um, it's actually completely safe. Wash it in hot soapy water, dry it really well, and just put it away. Um, because if you don't have a properly completely seasoned finish on that, you're going to get some oil going rancid in your Dutch oven, and nobody wants that. It's it's a pain to clean off, and I learned from experience back when I was a new Dutch oven cook. Yeah, and it seems like the longer you use it, the better it gets, and that's something that I think a lot of people just... We're so used to the, what I call the microwave culture, where everything mm -hmm. is instant gratification, and I remember the first time I ever used just a cast iron skillet My grandfather, my grandmother had these cast iron skillets that were probably, you know, as old as she was. They were probably her mother's. And, uh, you know, and I was a little kid, and I remember making an egg in one of those things. And it, a Teflon skillet couldn't even come close to the nonstick nature of these things. And, uh, oh, yeah. I, so I go out, you know, after I, I get a, a real job and I'm on my own and I get my kitchen set up and I'm like, I'm going to go buy a, a cast iron skillet. Ah, like, this thing sucks. <laughs> and, and there is something to, we don't make them like, they used to make them more milled where they didn't have the, uh, the cast beading left on them. And, yeah. uh, if you can find old stuff, it's great. But even the new stuff, if you cook with it long enough, you develop basically, it's like a, it's like an oil and grease and little food particle polymer that, that coats yeah. it. And it's amazing, but it, it doesn't happen overnight, you know, and they could say it's pre-seasoned or whatever. And it is, but it's, It, for you guys who are in the military, you go and you, they say, well, spit shine your boots, right? When you, when you start basic, you, you can't get a new boot spit shined. It, no. it doesn't happen. You have to build up multiple layers over time and it wears off and back on. And, and that's when you get to that point where you can get a, a true, and it's, it's kind of similar as of a process. And, um, I do think Paul Wheaton has a great article. I don't know if you've read his article on it, but one of the things that I found is, You know, he's dead on about you want to use a metal spatula, right? It sounds oh, yeah. dumb, but every time you're using that thing, you're basically doing this micro milling of the metal. And if you have patience, it's amazing how they turn out. But, man, you're right about you don't want to leave them over-oiled because then they go rancid, and you don't want to leave them unoiled because the speed with which unprotected cast iron rusts is mind-boggling. I mean, overnight. Yeah. That was the other dumb thing I did, like when I got my first – pot so or my pan you know I, i scrubbed it best i could after i got the egg stuck all over it and was pissed off and cursing and then i was just mad so you know what you do you you throw it in a sink and you let it soak overnight you come out <laughs> in the morning and the water the water's rust you know color yep and well you know and i just threw it in the back of the cabinet and gave up for a while and this is the days before the internet you know because i'm an old old guy um And it took me a while to like go back to it and ask some people and figure out like, okay, dummy, you just don't know what you're doing. But there's a, there's a learning curve with all cast iron. Yeah, and uh, another tool that's really useful for for cleaning it is, you know, it's kind of like those 
big steel wool scrubbies that you find at the dollar store, you know, the expanded steel or the copper, um, big scrubbies or i think you also posted like the ringler or whatever it was i have a ringer that's like that's my favorite it's like a little piece of chainmail armor yeah that and the other thing i've learned like you were talking about detergent um one of the things i found that will help get stuck on stuff off is kosher salt you use it like scouring powder and that also seems to yep. condition the, the the steel or the the, the iron yeah i've done that too and one thing i'd point out is like I, I heard, heard been told like put a little oil in, you know, a little salt, just keep, you know, scrubbing with it. But one time first time I did it, I put way too much oil in and so I just had this like giant <laughs> saturated blob. pile of salt ball. <laughs> it, it was it was horrible. Um but yeah, I, I've used that uh several times as well. So um if someone wants to get started, like what kind of costs are they looking at? Uh, you'll like the answer. I guess it shows that um, I'm a listener. Is it depends? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I was gifted both of my Dutch ovens. I've never had to like. Well, I, I bought one Dutch oven, and it was this tiny little three quarters quart one that is only really good for maybe making like a batch of dip or like a single individual brownie. Um, <laughs> and I got that for like twenty bucks. Um, but a new Dutch oven can cost. 20, 25 bucks on sale. If you keep your eyes open around you know, like uh, Memorial Day towards the start of the summer or like Black Friday um, at an outdoor store, uh, buying it off the of sale time, it'll be, you know, I've seen 40, 50 bucks and it depends on the size of the Dutch oven and the maker of the Dutch oven. Um, then you also need a lid lifting tool, charcoal, the food, but you're already going to cook food anyway. So, you know, that's not too expensive. That's already part of your daily budget. Um, but you can generally get started for probably less than a hundred bucks, depending on what you already got on hand and, uh, what you've got to pick up. You, you know, and we talked about, um, the old stuff and I've gotten to where I have to stop. I have to stop buying old cast iron pans because you go to like the old antique malls and stuff like that. They're everywhere and they can be in bad shape, but they're pretty easy to rehab. I would tell you if you're out somewhere and you find an old school, you know, milled out Dutch oven, uh, especially with the lid included and with like the lip lid where you can put the coals on top, buy uh -huh. it because they're like, I've never found one. I found one and they were like, Well, yeah, we'll we'll take one of your kidneys and your firstborn child for it. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> you know, where usually you can pick like an old cast iron, like a Griswold pan, you know, like a 10-inch pan for like 20 bucks-ish. Uh, if it's in bad shape, sometimes less. I, the Dutch oven I found, I think they wanted something like 180 bucks for it. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> But if you do find a deal on one and you can get it, I mean, when I say old school, I'm talking like 100 years older, older. Man, you gotta you gotta pick it up. Oh yeah, like my family, we the one my dad tried, you know, his first Dutch oven attempts was I think it was about 10 inch, and it was an old antique one that had been, you know, in his family for who knows how long. Uh, it it wasn't the camp oven style with the lip to keep the coals on. It was like a domed top one, so it made it really hard to bake with. Uh, but I I gotta hand it to my dad. You know, he was always trying to, you know, figure it out. Um, until a few years later when he went out and bought himself a, a camp oven-style Dutch oven. 
Yeah, definitely. So what what can we cook in Dutch ovens? Oh, that's that's one of the great beauties of the Dutch ovens. You can cook almost anything in it. Like um, the only thing I haven't really been able to do with it is bring water to like a, a big rolling boil. Uh, except you know over like a high BTU burner. Uh, but with charcoal, I haven't been able to boil with it. But you can bake. You can you know, stew is wonderful. Uh, anything that you need to simmer. Uh, well, like I personally like uh, biscuits, uh, like homemade sourdough, artisanal bread, mm. uh, stew, pizza. Uh, that's a classic, especially with my scout troop. Like <laughs> growing up, we were always wanting Dutch oven pizza until our scoutmaster finally had to say, "Stop! We're not having pizza again." <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of people don't think about the baking thing, like being able to do bread in it, but that's what the pioneers did. Oh, yeah, all the time. If I cut you off there, continue, please. No, I I was just going to say, like, desserts are are great in the Dutch oven. I was at the – my church had, like, you know, a little fall chili cook-off, and uh, I decided I was going to enter the dessert competition – and I got second place with my dessert, which really in my congregation is basically first place because Mrs. Walker always gets first place with her raspberry cheesecake, and you just can't compete against that. So I, I got the f- real first place, actually, you know, compared to compared <laughs> if you take Mrs. Walker out of the running. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get that. There's people at, at certain competitions like that. They uh, They win everything. So, yeah, let's talk about some of your favorite recipes, man. All right. Um, I, I was actually chatting on Zillow uh, before coming on here, and everybody was like, "Oh yeah, make sure you share, share lots of recipes, lots of recipes." Let's. You know, I want to know more about how to cook in my Dutch oven. So. Okay. All right. Uh, one of the easiest things to start with um, is what we call out here cobbler. Uh, it's a dump cake, and it's called that because basically you just dump stuff into the Dutch oven and bake it. In. Turns out fantastic and easy. Um, but basically, you take a can or two of fruit, depends on how much fruit you like. And, you know, most of my recipes I use a 12 inch Dutch oven for. I'll just throw that out here. Um, and actually, the cool thing about a 12 inch Dutch oven is it has about the same volume as like a 9 by 13 baking pan. So if you got casseroles, or cakes, or desserts, or something like that, it's easy to translate that over to the recipe for a 12-inch Dutch oven. It's the same space, basically. Uh, but you dump your, your fruit, take a cake mix, sprinkle it on top, and a can of soda per cake mix. So uh, it's fun to make, mix and match your, your uh, combinations there. Um, most popular one out here is peach cobbler, you know, can of peaches, yellow cake mix, can of lemon lime soda. And, you know, you just cover it, bake it, you know, until it's done, until you're starting to smell it, you check it, and it's awesome, especially if you've got some ice cream to pour over the top. Um, but I also like apple pie filling. Spice yeah, cake. Yeah, you're more in my world there, man. I, I'm not too big on sweet peaches, but apple cobbler is some good stuff. Yeah, apple pie filling, spice cake mix, and uh, you can have, like, an apple soda from the Mexican section of your supermarket, 
that I love that combo. Um, one, one that give us the procedure used. on that because that you can't leave that hang. Oh, the the apple pie or yeah, the, the, the apple, apple cobbler? Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. How do you make that? You said it's soda. Well, all right. You pour your fruit down first. You sprinkle your uh, spice cake mix. You know, like your cheapo, you know, store brand that you can get for less than a buck, right? Okay. Sprinkle that on top, and you just pour the soda evenly across the top. And and this is there's an apple so- the- apple soda. Is what you're saying? Yeah, apple soda. Okay. I, I like apple soda. You can get by with like a lemon lime because it's mild enough. The apple will kind of overpower it. Sure. Um, and you, you just bake it. There's enough. The moisture and the carbonation in the soda will actually give the lift to your cake. And it just turns out great. Very cool. What else I you got? got? Yeah, yeah. What else I, you got? My dad, his favorite is a cherry pie filling. A chocolate cake mix and use cola. Same huh. same way. Fruit on the bottom, cake mix, sprinkle the soda on top. So see, like what um, you're giving out there is a technique. It's not yep. just a recipe. That's a technique. You got fruit, you got some kind of cake mix, and you got a carbonated beverage on the top. There's there's yep. lots we could do with that. We could even take that into meat, right? So like that what that's making me think is like what if you did something like uh Move move toward like some kind of a bisquick mix with uh, some kind of a meat product and uh, a beer. I don't know if it would work, but I might play around with it. Yeah, go for it. Uh, I bet that would work. Uh, I also like pineapple uh, with like a yellow cake mix and strawberry soda. Mm. And if you uh, are careful enough pouring it, you can pour a spiral into it and that'll bake into the cake and look really cool. Awesome. Um, another easy one is pizza, right? And growing up, we always had trouble trying to get the pizza out of the, the Dutch oven because of the high sides. Until about a year ago, somebody showed a trick of, you don't always have to use your Dutch oven the traditional way. You Somebody I saw, they flipped it upside down. And okay. as long as you had a lid that d- doesn't have the spikes on it. Sure, which mine does, of course. Uh, put, <laughs> but who doesn't need another one, right? So you put a little oil on the on the lid there, so the dough won't stick. Yeah. Put your pizza dough, you know, whether store bought or you know, you make it your own. Yeah. And put pizza there, and just go ahead and bake it. Do that. You're just baking it upside down. And then when you you're done, knock your coals off the the bottom of the Dutch oven, which is now your lid. Yeah. You carefully pull that off, and your pizza will slide right off of your lid. Wow. That that just makes so much sense. You wonder why you don't just think of it on your own. As soon as you started saying it, I started thinking, yeah, flip it over. But I never even thought of making pizza in one. I, I will give you guys like a little hack, though. Um, we did a pizza night one time where we had uh, set up like a, a pizza oven grill type thing and make your own pizza. And I'm like, I don't want to make that much freaking pizza dough. Um, so we went to like a local pizza place. And we're like, can we buy just your dough? And they're like, well, how much you want? And I don't remember what, you know, so we need enough to make, you know, 10 pizzas about, you know, hold your hand on 10, 10 inch pizzas. Yeah. You need about this much. And it was a few bucks. And so that's like a thing you could do too. If you ever want to do your own pizzas, you don't want to make the dough, but you don't want to use store bought, you know, prefabricated stuff. Sometimes your local pizza joints, I don't think Domino's would not that you'd want it, but I don't think like Domino's or pizza Hut would do it, but you're, you know, Joe's pizza, Tom's pizza, things like that. You could sometimes get them to sell you just dough. I'll have to remember that. That's a great tip. 
You know, if one guy says no, ask someone else, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and since we were talking about like our skillets earlier, right? Making a you know, homemade pizza in your cast iron skillet. You know, you just give it some a nice brush of olive oil, throw your dough in there, bake your pizza, and the bottom comes out super crispy. It's a great little thing. Very cool, man. I mean, um, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just asking you. You got anything else? You know, you're making me hungry. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like it's like a Keith Snow episode, right? Except yeah. I'm not a pro chef. I'm just a guy that loves cooking. Um, my personal favorite is chicken pot pie. And uh, if you're going to do this while camping, you know you'll want to prepare a lot ahead of time. You know, package it up, leave it in your cooler. Uh, but you'll need chicken. I dice some onion and celery. Uh, I like some bacon, you know, a couple pieces just to kind of give you a little extra flavor, right? Uh, I cook the bacon, saute the onion and celery, and I've cooked up either some like homemade chicken gravy uh, from scratch, or if you're camping and you just kind of want to take the easier route, you can use some canned, either canned chicken or some uh, canned cream of chicken soup, something like that. Uh, cook up the chicken after your aromatics, and I, I'll pre-cook um, a couple cups of potatoes and carrots until they're soft. Uh, and throw whatever vegetables you want in. Like if you like mushrooms, throw those in. Peas, whatever. Um, and I you throw everything together. Cover it with a pie crust. I I'm lazy. I don't like to bake. Uh, or at least, you know, roll out my own pie crust because it always turns out disastrous. So I just use the pre-bought store, you know, like the Pillsbury dough mm -hmm. pie crust. You know, just put that on top and bake it half hour, 45 minutes, and it turns out awesome. It's so damn simple. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it takes it, – the prep work takes a little bit, but, you know, the basic idea is you just dump everything in cover it with a pie crust and bake it. And uh, you could probably pull that off with your biscuit dough mix that yeah. you were talking about too. Or Joe's uh, pizza you know, dough. I bet Joe's <laughs> pizza dough would work pretty good on it too. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe even make an upside-down pizza casserole that way or something. Oh. See, I'm supposed to be paleo. You're ruining this. I'm making a calzone Actually, souffle. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I, I had started my YouTube channel – uh, back in 2015, and I had to stop because um, we were living with family. Uh, we had moved from Arizona back to Utah to help take care of my mother-in-law, who had been diagnosed with heart problems, and she needed to be on a lot of bed rest and whatnot. And so I was basically the house cook, and where her doctor basically put her on like a paleo diet, and we all went on the diet with her, you know, So we weren't like, you know, eating all the stuff she couldn't eat in front of her. Yeah, I you can't do that to somebody. It's just and, and she's gotten a lot better and so now I'm you know, cooking again and you know, doing stuff on my YouTube channel again. Um and actually I'll I'll share the next recipe I'm gonna be putting on my channel. And it is a super easy recipe too. Um take a whole chicken part it out or about four pounds of, you know, whatever. Like if you don't care for breasts and you just want a whole bunch of thighs, you know, you get your pallet, uh, you know, not the pallet, but the, you know, that cardboard star foam thing that's full of 
pre-processed chicken, uh, you know, drumsticks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, about four pounds. You uh, put a couple tablespoons of oil in your pan and brown your chicken. Then you add, it sounds like a lot, but it, it is awesome. It's about 40 cloves of garlic. I generally just use like two whole bulbs of garlic, peel all that paper off, throw that in, uh, maybe a little thyme, give about half a cup of oil, and it's kind of like a semi-confit thing. I remember you talked about that with uh, Keith Snow a while ago. And you just bake that for about an hour, hour and a half, till that meat's fallen off the bone, and it's just delicious. You can make that paleo if you want to. I mean, <laughs> it's just about what you don't add to it, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it is pretty amazing the flexibility that you, you, you really have with Dutch oven cooking. It's, it's not just for stews. Oh, yeah. Like, um, I mean, I did go paleo with my side dish. I threw probably half of that garlic into a batch of mashed potatoes, make a nice garlic mashed potato. But, uh, yeah, it, it was super easy. You just brown the chicken, throw everything in, cover it and bake. Yeah, yeah, I'm wondering. I'm just, right now we have a bunch of leftover uh, Jerusalem artichokes, and I never really thought about just just baking them, you know, in yeah. a Dutch oven with that radiant heat all around, because that really is, a, that makes them kind of bring their sweetness out. Cool stuff, well, man. Actually, uh, you just reminded me of a, a recipe that I, I want to cook. But you get like some Polish sausage, you know, slice it thin on the bias so they're kind of larger pieces. Um, and you alternate like onions, potatoes, uh, you know, season them up with salt and pepper and that uh, Polish sausage. And you probably make about two or three layers of that. Yeah. Bake that. But I bet you could substitute your artichokes for your uh, potatoes in a recipe like that. Sure. Maybe some deer sausage instead of a Polish sausage. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, if, if uh, you could tell people a little bit about this YouTube channel you have. Uh, my YouTube channel is called Dutch Oven a Day. And in 2015, um, I had actually lost my job. And a week later um, – we had a trip planned to come back and visit my wife's family, and that's when we found out my mother-in-law had all these health problems, and my father-in-law thankfully had a, a great job, but it was a 12-hour-plus day for him, so he couldn't really help take care of her at home. So stars aligned, and we ended up moving back to, to help uh, take care of her. And I, besides you know, taking care of the property, which, you know, once you get things figured out, doesn't take too much time. I'm like, well, looking for a job, but how else am I going to spend my time productively? And I read about a person that had done a blog where they cooked that Dutch oven every day for a year. They just wanted to get it as a skill and, you know, realize, like, I got this Dutch oven sitting here. I keep it for emergencies, but I don't really know how to use it so they wanted to get a lot better and i thought well that's a cool idea maybe i'll you know give that a shot with youtube and i made almost 100 videos 
before we went on that uh, four-mentioned diet. And then this year I decided that I'll pick it back up. And I can't quite do, you know, one a day anymore uh, because I do have work as a custodian. But I have fun and I try to get a couple videos up every week. Very cool. And we'll send some people over there to subscribe to your videos. Um, I have a link to uh, your channel in the show notes. And I also have a, a website that I got set up with help from a PA prepper on uh, the Zello. It's, it's also DutchOvenAday.com. And I, tr you know, it's new. I'm trying to go back and add the recipes um, for different things that I've done in a written format. So you kind of have a, a shopping list. You're not having to watch my video and write down everything that I, I've said. Very cool. Well, I, I, I found that. I'll uh, append that to the show notes as well so that uh, people can get over there and check out your website. Thanks. Well, Matthias, man, this has been a great interview. I've really had a great time talking to you, and uh, thanks for coming on the air with us and sharing uh, one of the things that you love doing, which is, of course, cooking with that Dutch oven. Yeah, I, I love to. And just a, a quick tip for people that are wanting to get started. Um, like, I know a lot of people look at it and like, well, I need the Dutch oven and I need a lid lifter and I need this and I need that. Um, but yeah, just get started with what you got. If you get a Dutch oven and are, you know, don't want to worry about trying to cook with charcoal outdoors, try it in your oven. Maybe you have to remove a rack out of it, but give it a shot. If you don't have a, a lid lifter, um, you probably got something at home that you can use as a lid lifter. Like they make special tools to pull the lid off of your Dutch oven while it's still hot. So you're not, you know, scalding your hand. Um, but I know guys that use welding gloves. I know guys that use vice grips. Um, one thing I found that works great is a claw hammer. Just, you know, your regular multi-purpose hammer that you got it probably in your toolkit. Uh, hook that claw under the, lip or not the lip the the hook the loop of your dutch oven and you can use it to uh both grab the bail and move your hot dutch oven out of the fire or pull the lid off to check on your uh your beef stew whatever you're baking in there it's a great little thing i still use it i don't even have a regular lid lifter All right well that was a really great tip and i agree man make do with what you have and uh you know be careful though like you said part of that lid lifter isn't just uh to not burn your hand on the, the handle, but the steam is going to come up out of there. But uh, I've really appreciated having you on today. Again, I've got links to your website and to your YouTube channel in the show notes today. And uh, thanks for being with us today, Matthias. Well, thanks for having me. I, a while ago, you'd asked for uh, submissions for uh, interviews, and I thought, why not? Let's give this a, go a shot. And I'm glad that I've been able to share something I care so much about. All right, well, again, I appreciate you being on, and that's a lesson for some of you guys out there uh, as well. If you, if you think you have something interesting to share, uh, get on the site, fill out the form, and that's the only way to get on the show. Uh, people say all the time, you should interview so-and-so. Tell them to go fill out the form. Again, Matthias, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Well, that was a great interview, and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy that we, uh, we go out and try to bring you a large variety of guests with our weekly interviews, uh, from experts to just people that are living a, a certain way of life that makes sense and jives, and people like Matthias that are right out of our TSP community. Uh, I want you to know, before we, uh, 
we got on the air together as I was putting together the show. I hit him by instant message on Skype, said, I'll be with you in about 15 minutes. His response was, okay, fine, I'm just chatting on Zello. So, I mean, this guy is from our community. Anyway, um, if you want to support this show so we can continue to do work like this, consider uh, doing your Amazon shopping through tspaz.com. I, I didn't say go shop on Amazon. What I said is when you're going to shop on Amazon, instead of going there, go to tspaz.com, tspaz.com, click a link and go to Amazon and do your shopping. Just when you were going to do it anyway. If you do that, you help support our show uh, because we get credit as the affiliate for your sales, and Amazon gets free daily advertising on the show. That's a pretty good deal for both of us. I also do put out an item of the day every day that you can take a look at and see if it makes sense for you from Amazon that I use personally. Uh, today's uh, item of the day is pretty cool. I have been working to put together like the most badass behind-the-truck-seat fishing kit where you can grab a bag, a duffel bag, and go fishing anywhere, any place, anytime. And I've looked really hard, and I found finally a minnow trap slash bait trap uh, that works for that. It folds up about 11 by 11, and it's barely a quarter-inch thick when it folds up. Really well made. It's made by a company called Promar, P-R-O-M-A-R, Promar Minnow and Crawfish Bait Trap. I have a video and a text review for you at TSPAS today. You can check it out. It's also just on the main Survival Podcast blog, so you might want to check that out. And remember, no matter what, just do your Amazon shopping through TSPAS, and you're supporting our show. It doesn't cost you any extra money. There's no Spearco surcharge or anything like that. Uh, you get the same shipping, the same rates, the same everything. Uh, you just go to a different website first. That's all it takes to support our work here at the Survival Podcast. also want to let you know today that um, Duck Chronicles Season 3 began today. Uh, picked up the new ducks at the post office. Had some issues. John Metzer personally called me last night to apologize. That's pretty good customer service as far as I'm concerned. And uh, he, uh, he told me what was going on and basically... I ordered 50 Silver Apple Yard girls. They were only able to get me 10 plus 5 drakes. Uh, they also got me my 50 uh, Golden Layers and my uh, my Fawn Runners. But they just can't fulfill. They're not getting the hatch rate out of the Apple Yards that they'd expected. So then I'll get some ducks tomorrow, and I'm going to get more ducks next week. And we're basically filling the balance out with Golden, run, uh, golden uh, Hybrid Layers because they'll give us the production that we need. So... I'll only have 10 silver apple yards, but with five drakes, you know, maybe next year I can, uh, I can have a better hatch rate than Metzer because, uh, I have this special incubator. It's called a Muscovy duck. And Muscovy ducks tend to be excellent incubators and brooders and they do all the work. And I, I like that idea. So I just isolate my drakes and my ducks for a little while, harvest those specific eggs and give them to a broody Muscovy. That's the plan anyway. Just want to let you know that you can check out duckchronicles.com for all of those videos. And with that brings us to our song of the day. Our song of the day is the number one song from 1960, Elvis Presley, Are You Lonesome Tonight? I think his edition of this song is one of the more beautiful love songs, especially out of the rock world uh, that, that's ever been done. Uh, it really showcases his talent. This is you know, still relatively young Elvis. Uh, he's out of the Army and, uh, and, and back, as uh, Alex said in the history segment. And uh, it's it's kind of just like this amazing song that I bet you everybody's heard. I do want to announce something, though. Um, John Adam is the guy that reached out to me and said, I can pick a song for each year that's maybe not from the year, but probably from the year, but definitely fits the year. And he put together a pretty good list that started in 1970. 
I emailed him back today based on feedback and said, I want to switch to what you're doing. So I asked him if he could fill in 61 to, uh, to 69 for me uh, on, the, uh, on the songs, and we'll see if he can do that or not. But once he, either we get to 1970 or he gets me his updated list, instead of doing the number one song of the year from now on, we're going to do a song that encapsulates what was going on that year. And he did a really great job with the list. So uh, that makes my next, you know, how many shows. One less thing I have to do in finding a song. And I think it's kind of cool because there's been a couple years where I've thought, you know, I'd rather play this song for this year, but I kind of went on to this number one song of the year thing. I think we had a good run with that, and uh, we'll be switching over very, very shortly. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Are you lonesome tonight? Do you miss me tonight? Are you sorry we drifted apart? Does your memory stray to a bright summer day? When I kissed you and called you sweetheart Do the chairs in your parlor seem empty and bare? Do you gaze at your doorstep and picture me there? Is your heart Filled with pain Shall I come back again Tell me dear Are you lonesome tonight I wonder if You're lonesome tonight You know someone said The world's a stage And each must play a part Fate had me playing in love with you as my sweetheart. Act one was where we met. I loved you at first glance. You read your lines so cleverly and never missed a cue. Then came act two. You seemed to change. You acted strange. And why, I've never known. Honey, you lied when you said you loved me. And I had no cause to doubt you. But I'd rather go on hearing your lies than to go on living without you. Now the stage is bare, and I'm standing there with emptiness all around. And if you won't come back to me, then they can bring the curtain down. Is your heart filled with pain? Shall I come back again? Tell me, dear, are you lovesome tonight?